This is the Straight Dope, episode 39. Picking the right gun for the job and some field expedient ideas for fixing some scope problems after having some develop at a match this weekend. All right, so I talk about using different rifle systems and different calibers all the time. I'm trying to go to different matches using different rifle systems and different calibers, but instead of kind of tuning them down and see how slow and, and disadvantaged they can be, I'm trying to use them in an optimized sense. So this weekend, I went out to a local match that I've shot twice before this year with two different rifles, but those rifles were more optimal for uh, for that match. And I'll talk about those. I built out a ballistics table to kind of compare and talk about how they worked and then... Um, and then how it compared to the AR that I shot. But I shot my AR, my gas gun, a two two three, And, it, and it, I was shooting 73 grainers in the mid-2800s. And uh, it's a great rifle. It consistently delivers small, like, half-inch groups. And, uh, you know, has decent ESs. I shoot factory ammo, but but it shoots... It shoots great, and I didn't feel like, in terms of shootability, I shoot my gas gun as good as my bolt guns in terms of craft numbers. I can move it faster. I can follow up shots faster. The, the only disadvantage that my gas gun has is that it shoots small bullets, and so that at a distance, external ballistic factors play a role and decide your hit probability um, more than your ability to shoot a really tight group up close uh, environmental factors play a big role. And so I want to talk a little bit about wind and how you can compare uh, your gun versus uh, the wind effects on those bullets at a distance. And so I'm just going to uh, pick like the, the, um, the distance uh, where I think the gas gun kind of falls apart, which is about 600 yards. My 6.5 Creedmoor that I, I, I won that match a few months ago with, uh, one mile an hour moves that bullet 0 0.08 mils, right? So less than a tenth per mile an hour. So I can usually read the wind on my own, making all the calls that I need to, uh, to about three miles an hour. And three miles an hour is 0.24, so uh, a little over two-tenths of wind variation, which gives you a lot of budget with that. Then I used a 6BR, and that has 0.11 per mile an hour. So three miles of variation is is 0.33, right? So three-tenths of wind. And, and my my 223, every mile an hour is 0.15. And so three miles an hour would be 0.45. So almost half a mil, right? At, at 0.45, I round up to five. So uh, to me, like a half mil versus three-tenths versus two-tenths, you're, you're talking, and then as that grows, as the, the variation grows, uh, you're talking about a lot of um, added width to your group. And, and that's not width that you can really account for other than saying that there's acceptable error in the left and right, that half a mil has to be accounted for uh, at 600 yards. The problem is that half a mil is... Um, well, it's big, but if you're shooting targets that are 2 MOA, right, so that's going to be like 0.72. Um, so that only gives you 0.22 for a group size. And so if you're not shooting basically 
three quarters of an MOA, um, or even less, half an MOA, your hit probability now becomes uh, more of a statistical probability than something that you're intentionally like saying, okay, I'm going to take that shot. And when you miss, then you know why you missed. All of a sudden, you're stacking errors that you can't really account for because statistically, there's odds that you're going to miss. And as those statistical odds uh, make the hit probability less and less, um, you're, really, you're really not learning much anymore. And, and you're, you're just gambling. And, and, and I like to go to learn. And so if I'm going to shoot at something, um, you know, I really don't want to be forced to have to be able to shoot a, a two-tenths group. And, and that's what's happening at 600 yards with my AR-15 is that, you know, it's saying if I'm shooting a 2MOA target, I have to be able to consistently print 0.2 groups, you know, from my considering the center of that group as my point of aim. And that's very hard to do, although it can do it at that point, like, you know, I'm, I'm probably not at 95% or above, right? It's probably, but it's probably pretty darn close to that, assuming that I get that three mile an hour bracket uh, down after 600 yards, your hit per percentage uh, decreases substantially. Whereas a three mile an hour wind um, with uh, the BR, you know, uh, if, if, I, I have to shoot an inch, right? And my BR shoots an inch all day, every day, you know, pretty much from, from any position. And so my hit probability at 600 yards with my BR, you know, that, that leaves me four-tenths. So it's a little over an MOA. And four-tenths is typically the size of my craft drill. So that's good. And then it's even more than that um, with my six Creedmoor or six five Creedmoor. And so considering that wind drift, is very, very important. And there were a lot of targets this weekend past 600 yards. Uh, two of the stages had targets uh, in the, you know, over 1,000 yard, uh, you know, to, to 1,100, 1,200 yards. One of them even had a 1,450. Uh, but, um, you know, but just as, a, as an example, at 1,000 yards, my AR has a 1 MOA per mile an hour of wind. So if I'm shooting at a target, um, you know, and if you're shooting a thousand yards, you're not usually shooting a, a two MOA target, but, but a three mile an hour variation is, is three MOA alone. And reading the wind at a thousand yards is, is to three miles an hour is, is, is not something that I measure myself on consistently, but, but just saying like, okay, if we're going to shoot a three MOA target, just the wind drift accounts for that. And then if you add your group size to that, let's say it was one MOA, um, your hit probability now uh, extends, you know, well off the target and hit or miss, you don't, you're not really sure if you make a wind correction that it's going to be appropriate, right? Whereas uh, with, uh, um, with the BR and the 6.5 Creedmoor, we're still talking about less than two tenths variation, um, so less than uh, two MOA, and with the uh, with the six, uh, you know, you, you, you're still talking about like, you know, 1.5 MOA wind drift. So if you're shooting at a three MOA target, you still have 1.5 MOA of shootability, and so um, you know, 
that makes those calibers much more preferable at those distances. And I think that's why, you know, I mean, obviously that's why people are choosing calibers for the job. But I think that if you did a, a pre-event kind of run through and you listed out the distances and you looked at the wind drift that your particular bullet and caliber have at those distances, and then you assessed your ability to read the wind in advance and then your, your ability to consistently shoot out a group from your point of aim at a specific, you know, a size over, and, and you had a significant number of rounds on that, you could start to predict your hit percentage much more accurately and determine which of your rifles was better suited for the particular job at hand. And so inside of 600 yards, I'm, I'm perfectly happy going up against any gun with my AR with, with that particular um, uh, uh, load. Uh, you know, or, or factory ammo, because I, I can shoot it just as well. And the differentiation of wind reading ability doesn't affect my hit percentage nearly as much as it does after 600 yards. And really, it just falls apart as far as I'm concerned, because I'm, I'm kind of basing this on a 2MOA size target, not, um, not, not, not anything too much smaller, not anything too much bigger. Right. So for me, that's kind of a standard. Two MOA, if that's the standard, 600 yards is kind of where I say, okay, I'm after 600 yards, shooting AR is a little bit silly. And, um, you know, for, for, for the other rifles, you know, it's, it's, it's more like 1,000 yards where I feel like, um, you know, you may miss even if you break a perfectly good shot. And, um, and so, you know, I would lean in, in those directions. So... To make a short story long, I think if you listed out and made tables, I just built an Excel spreadsheet and I plugged in the wind deviation and I plugged in the group size and, and then, uh, you know, with some of their um, statistical plugins, you can make a little spreadsheet for your rifles pretty quick and you could know, like, you know, your wind speed deviation, your, your group size deviation, the distance, and, and what's your personal cutoff for what caliber. And that should help you be able to say, okay, well, you know, if I want to be able to hit this many targets or, or really go in and, and try to optimize your particular rifle for whatever test you're doing or application, that should be able to spit out a number that gives you, you know, an honest take on is this usable, yes or no. And a lot of rifles just aren't usable past a certain distance based on your ability to shoot it and your ability to read the wind. And it's, and, and it's not all your fault, right? The wind, the wind deviation has to do with the BC and the external ballistics combined with your ability to predict the wind speed to a certain bracket. And for me, that bracket is about three miles an hour. I wish I could read it better. I'm working on it, but I'm just not there yet. So let's jump to an issue that I had, right? I mean, it seems like there's always issues, but people don't like to talk about issues and fixes because, uh, you know, that's just part of the culture, I guess. But, but I don't mind talking about issues and fixes because I feel like everybody runs into problems and a lot of people scratch their head or don't quite know what to do or people just kind of roll their eyes and say, you know, it sucks for you, I've been there, um, see you next time. All of which I think is hilarious and... Uh, and, and totally like not something that we have to, to deal with. So, so here's the situation. I went out and, and, um, I was, there was a stage where there were six targets and the first target, bang, bang, hit it. Second target, bang, bang, hit it. And I dialed for the third target and I felt my turret 
it didn't click. I felt it spin, but it didn't click. And I thought, oh, shit. I shot. It was a tall target. And I followed up. Uh, as, you know, you know, I saw the, the miss, and I followed up. Um, but it was starting to be far away. The target was taller than it was wide. And, and I held up, and I hit it. And then I went to dial to the next one, and, it, and, it, and I could feel it spin but not click. And, and on, the, you know, on the stage itself, like, oh, crap. You know? And then uh, I kind of like was more aggressive with the turn, and I felt it click. But at that point, um, you know, I knew something was wrong, and then I didn't see my misses, didn't see my misses, didn't see my misses. And um, you know, the stage was over. Like, oh, shit, something's going on with this. And I was like kind of... Um, spinning it back and forth, and sometimes it would click a little bit, and sometimes it would spin a lot without clicking, right? And the 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 cause of that is that the screws got a little bit loose, um, and it was a, a newer uh, a newer Night Force uh, attacker, and I put it on the AR. Um, I, I switched out some rings, and so I switched out, uh, and, and I got one of these for for the gas gun, and. Um, you know, you tighten it up with their little tool and whatever, but it's been cold here. It's the winter. And, um, all of a sudden yesterday, it was a hot day. It was in the eighties and sunny and, you know, it was, it was really hot. And, and I think as things heat and cool, they can slowly back out and loosen. And I don't, every time I go shooting, I don't check all of the torques on everything that could be torqued down. And some of you might do that. Uh, I, I certainly might consider, having a more extensive torque test on a lot of things, but um, it's not the first thing that has come untorqued. In, in, in fact, um, you know, I've had action screws come loose, you know, over the years. Um, I've had on the impact action, there's like a trigger saddle or a, a trigger shoe that, you know, some, some, some actions you put the trigger in and you just... Um, um, spacing out the name for it, but but the pins go through the sides, and it holds it in place. But this one, the pins go through this this shoe, and then the shoe gets screwed in. And I've had, and then that goes in your action. And but I've had the shoe uh, screws come loose, and the trigger stopped working, and it you know it, it wasn't the trigger breaking, and it wasn't you know anything going wrong. It was that it it, it dropped it under the ability to reset or, or rearm the trigger with the bolt running. And, and you know, once I figured that out, I tightened it back up and it worked fine. Um, I've had rings come loose, but I've, I've never had the um, turrets come loose like that. Like I've never had it. I haven't had them slip like that before. But the problem is, you know, I'd screwed around with it so much, I had no idea where its, where its reference point was. And I, I swap scopes out on different rifles a lot, so I don't set a hard uh, zero stop. And I've been messing around with um, the speed drop, and so I don't like setting the zero stop because some scopes don't allow you to dial under the zero stop and and for the speed drop stuff you know being able to dial under like two and a half mils or 2.2 mils or what you know depending on your rifle and the height over bore uh dialing it down is is necessary for that but but anyway because i'm i'm swapping scopes off on different rifles i don't hit a hard zero stop well uh so i i grabbed some fix-it sticks and i tightened up the the rings uh, I mean, the the turret. And at this point, I didn't know what my zero was. So I had to uh, figure it out really quick. And, I, and I, for a second, I thought about going home. And I thought, no, fuck it. Let's fix this. So 
I found a plate that wasn't a part of the competition at a distance and, um, you know, took a shot out into the, into the grass and saw where it was and then, you know, brought up the elevation until I could hit the plate. And then I had to figure out, you know, exactly what my elevation was. And when I figured that out, I laser range, finded the target, figured out the distance and then slipped the turret to the elevation that that particular target was going to be at. Cause there was no paper set up. There wasn't a zero range with a hundred or whatever, but I knew if I could hit that target and I knew exactly where I could hit it, it was, it was still painted cause it wasn't part of the competition. It was at about 550 yards and I took three or four shots and they were all, I centered them up really good in a tight group and I found my elevation for that particular distance and I put the turret set to that distance, tightened it back up, and I was able to finish the match, uh, which, which was, uh, I think, three more stages, and, and, and it shot great. Uh, and fortunately, they weren't, you know, there was one more long-range stage and then there was uh, two, two or three short-range stages, and then we stayed there and screwed around afterwards just kind of shooting but that was able to get me back in the game and although I haven't gone back to check my 100 yard zero it was enough on these plates to be able to to get impacts and that kind of saved the day so that was that's one fix that's the fix that I chose to do kind of in the moment because it was an option that presented without paper and without other things um but, it, you know, it sucks to go anywhere and shoot and then have something go wrong and not be able to fix it. So that, that was one fix. It's put, you know, it was a smaller target. I put it at a distance. It was painted. And then I was able to take the distance and my dope and set it to that. And then um, basically, you know, that just got it right back on track and it worked great. Another option, though, uh, if, you, if you don't have your zero stop, and, and I think that there's pros and cons for the zero stop, right? But... Another one, though, that, that I think is really interesting is that all of our scopes, uh, there's a bottom to them, right? You can, you can dial down your scope to the bottom, whatever that is. And this particular optic on this particular rifle was a rev up before I was at my zero. So I could spin it down all the way down a rev until it hit the bottom. But that's always going to be the same. So if you have a piece of paper, and I, and I think this is, this is actually really interesting, and I, and I did this and wrote it down, but I thought, how would you do this if you didn't have a plate, but you didn't want to go home and you didn't want to do zero, and then realize that what you can do is you can spin, you have your zero, and you spin it all the way down as far as it'll go, and count how far up your zero is from that bottomed out turret because that's always going to be consistent so if a ring slips you're going to be that distance from your bottomed out turret every time now it might not make sense for you know for whatever reason based on your scope height and scope and the barrel and all that garbage but it'll always be the same and so for me you know being like uh you know a rev plus um, you know 1.7 mils from the very bottom of my turret, if the rings ever slipped again, you know, so I'm going to go back through my rifles. And when I, when I put on the optic and when I put on that, I'm just going to have a little piece of paper noted or, or stick something on the rifle somewhere. If anything ever happens, um, you know, this zero is that distance from the bottomed out turret so that if your ring slipped 
all you have to do is, you know, tighten it all the way back down and then go up from that bottomed out turret to the same spot and put your zero there and then you should be good to go, which would be, um, it'll, it's something that I'll go back out and, and maybe test it. But I think that's an idea that's probably even better than just shooting something and then setting your, 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 your turret to that particular thing uh, because you know, you're shooting out and you don't always have an option to shoot at stuff. So um, anyway, that, that was an idea of, of, of two ways to fix the slip turret. Obviously, another one is to just go get paper out there and re-zero it all together. Um, or, you know, make sure that your turrets are tight to begin with. But I think that, you know, just saying, well, you should have all your shit together. You know, that, that life's not like that, right? You're not always, it's not always going to be perfect. But having quick fixes and ideas based on things that have gone wrong for people and talk about, hey, what's gone wrong and how'd you fix it? Um, you know, going to get a new zero, great. But sometimes you can't do that. Shooting at an unpainted plate at distance, great. But sometimes you can't do that. Like if I didn't have a laser rangefinder with me, how am I going to do that? I don't, I, you know, I won't know what the distance is. So, uh, but spinning down your turret all the way to the bottom and counting the clicks till you get up to your zero from that bottomed out turret that's something that you can do without that. And it should get you close enough to your zero that you could probably continue shooting, um, you know, based on, depending on your application, it's going to get you ideally, I mean, theoretically it'll get you perfect, but you know, ideally it'll get you back close to, you know, within a 10th or two. Um, and, and, and again, you know, now we get back to that conversation of how good your wind calling and how good your shooting group size based on the target size that you're shooting at. But a 10th really, um, isn't as significant as um, some of these other factors that play a role in that. So uh, <clears throat> that's the kind of debrief. Now, uh, my buddy Sam won. He's he's shooting kick ass and 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 really crushed that course of fire. That course of fire is really good. I don't think it's it's just not suited for an AR-15 uh, in terms of the competitive level of shooting because a lot of the targets are past the competitive ballistic range. So now all of a sudden, if, you, if you've got like a 50% hit rate, if you do everything perfect, you know, that's not, you don't learn much when you miss half your shots because your bullet's at a disadvantage. So I think that keeping that at least above, you know, close to the 85% success rate is probably, you know, what, what you want to go for. Um, and then, and then theoretically you really want to know that when you shoot, you have, um, your bullet's going to hit it if you do everything right. But it seems more often than not, like you forget, like how do we figure that out? And you don't, it, it, it's kind of head scratching when you think, okay, I'm going to shoot at this. And even if I do everything perfect and get my wing call perfect, uh, you know, I only have a 75% chance at hitting the target. Well, then what did it teach you if you miss? Did you do it right? Or did you do it wrong? And, and, and obviously, if it's 75% percent uh, probability that you're going to hit it, it it's, I guess it is more likely that you did something wrong, but there's still that 25% chance that you did everything right, and it was just a bullet issue uh, because it was beyond its external ballistic capabilities given the wind conditions. And so, um, you know, I, I, I lean towards saying, all right, let's give ourselves the ballistic advantage so that when we screw up, we know we screwed up not uh, 
not just gambling out there. So um, I'm not sure what else to say about that. Uh, it's a great match, and it was really fun. I'm probably not going to shoot my AR there, but there's uh, uh, two other ones that have targets inside um, the range. Like uh, there's one up in Laramie, and I think the 800 yards is the longest shot. And 800 yards, like I'm willing to give, um, a, you know, a, a couple stages the benefit of the doubt and take that shot because at 800 yards, I haven't lost that much. I'm getting 0.23 wind drift per mile an hour. So if the targets, um, you know, I mean, that's 0.6. So hitting a two MOA target is, is very unlikely with a three mile an hour wind variation up in Wyoming. The wind is often gusting and less predictable to a three mile an hour bracket. Uh, but, um, But it's not as much as, as Pawnee, where we're shooting at 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 yards, 1,450. Although I did hit the 1,450 target. It is pretty wide. And so uh, I think the, the wind budget for that actually, like even though it was totally unrealistic, um, I made a correction, and that correction proved to be enough to hit that target at 1,450 as a second-round impact. But I was holding 10 mils of wind, which was pretty hilarious. But it's cool to see a flasher go off, even if it is a gambling shot. The scope fix, I think, is something that is worth thinking about because, you know, you're traveling and that's something that could completely ruin and end your day. And it's cool to be able to fix stuff like that if it goes wrong. And it's likely it's happened to someone who's listening to this, although it hasn't happened to me. Basically, like, everything else has happened to me. And sometimes you have to leave and sometimes... You don't have to leave, but it's nice to know of options to fix it. So if your turret slip and you don't have a laser rangefinder or something to shoot at, try the bottoming out your turret and dialing up that distance from a bottomed out turret to your zero and writing it down on your rifle. And I would love to hear from the listeners other methods for what happens when, like, let's say an elevation or a windage turret slips and how to fix it in the field and stay, you know, doing what you're out there to do. Would you do that on a hunt? Would you do that at a competition? What, you know, what, what are some options that you would use to fix that? Because equipment fucks up and there's uh, a lot of people out there with a lot of knowledge and experience. And I'm sure you've seen better, maybe more accurate and maybe, you know, more creative ways to fix that particular issue. And I think I'm going to start talking about fixes in each of these episodes a little bit more, or maybe not in every episode, but regularly, uh, because there are issues that happen and there are some quick and easy uh, ways to deal with it. But, but there are also people that don't know what to do and may have left or, or stopped early because of that. And it would be cool to make a list and talk about things that happen more often than we think and how you might plan ahead to be able to deal with that, right? Uh, kind of like carrying a, a, a rod and, and um, you know, I've seen a lot of case head separations and, so, and, and people that have had those and have seen those often carry a rod with like a nine mil brush, a wire brush so that they could stick that into the case and then extract it. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. But but there's a lot of things that if you just carry a couple simple tools, you can fix some of these problems very quick, very easy. And it might blow a stage, but it won't 
keep you from going on in the match if you're prepared. But if you don't know what to do, you might uh, just pack it in, and and that's that's unfortunate, right? It's nice to have the knowledge to be able to do something about things that happen yourself. And so speaking openly about those, it was it had nothing to do with the products themselves. It just it just happened, and um, I think that. That, that, that talking about those is helpful. So um, I've rambled on here a little bit, and it's late, so I'm going to call it quits, but uh, maybe I'll post another episode tomorrow. Good night.